name is Justin McClure, and I'm here today with Will Sloan. And you're listening to the important Holiday Cinema Podcast. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> okay, before we start this episode, I just want to formally on air apologize to Justin for suggesting this topic. <laughs> it was a horrible idea, but the topic is Netflix Christmas movies. And the reason I'm apologizing is because two years ago, we did a whole uh, holiday episode of the Important Cinema Club on Hallmark Christmas movies. And I was pretty pleased with the results. I thought it was it was fun. And I thought, well, let's uh, let's try the Netflix ones. And th- what what made me interested in seeing the Netflix ones is they seem indistinguishable to me from Hallmark ones. And, and you were wondering what was the difference? Like, what would a streaming giant bring to something that has been codified by channels like Hallmark and Lifetime? Well, and the Hallmark Christmas movies, there are tens, hundreds, thousands of them. Who knows? And they all seem exactly the same, and nobody remembers the titles of them. You have them on on in the background, and it's like a Yule Log video. People know that, oh, this one has Candace Cameron Bure in it. This one has Danica McKellar. You're saying names, and I'm just smiling and nodding. I have no idea what you're talking about. Two years ago, you were intimately familiar with these (laughs) names when we did that episode. As we talked about before, once we hit stop recording... On the podcast, all that information is blasted from our mind. For good. The Netflix ones, they seem to be bigger events. Like, people know the names of the Netflix movies. Mm. This year, there was a big one with Lindsay Lohan. There was a Christmas Prince. The fucking Vanessa Hudgens one that we just watched. Oh, a Christmas Switch. A Christmas Switch, which has... Part three. Now... There's three of them. That's right. There are two sequels. I mean, these are movies that people know. These are movies that if you go on Letterboxd, you know, 100,000 people have logged them. So I was just curious when we did the Hallmark Christmas episodes, what I was what we were foolishly looking for was where is the art here? Mm -hmm. What is the Edgar G. Ulmer of the Hallmark Christmas film? And I want to go back to that comparison because these Christmas movies are a reflection of something like the Western at its most popular time in Hollywood that they just pumped them out. They were anonymous. There were a lot of them and they were consumed by people in the case of Westerns, usually children. Yeah. Back in the studio era, you had your MGMs, your Warner brothers, your universals, your big studios. And then you had the poverty row studios and they would make cheap movies, low budget movies that would be rented out to theaters, basically on a flat rate basis. They wouldn't share in the box office take. They would just rent them out to theaters. And oftentimes they would be in like, rural communities and inner cities and suburbs not the classiest of theaters you Mm -hmm. know it didn't matter all they needed was product though that hit certain things like there needs to be horses there needs to be hats there needs to be guns there's gonna be a fist fight that's all that matters at the end of the day and so those poverty row movies which included like bowery boys comedies charlie chan mysteries bella lugosi horror films you know those were those were interesting because you know, they would play to audiences like they were the sorts of movies that like many people went to see, but but not the right kinds of people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm saying that with quotation yeah. marks like they were for un- unsophisticated audiences, children, matinee crowds, stuff like that. And nowadays we don't have Poverty Row Studios, but we do have tons of different kinds and genres of movies that are sort of like the modern equivalent of Poverty Row. You go on Tubi mm-hmm. and look at the Tubi originals or like Bruce Willis direct to streaming movies, geezer teasers. But I do think that the Christmas film is the most one-to-one in the sense of just a volume 
and similarity to Poverty Row movies. And just the anonymity, the mm. the total lack of pretense that they are anything other than just product. Like when we were doing those Hallmark movies, we were really trying to dig down and figure out who are the ones out there like trying like to do something that is different than the cookie cutter kind of mode. And I actually interviewed one of the directors who did those movies a couple episodes after we did that one. And he basically said like, it is a job. We just go in and like his goal is just to make it a fun atmosphere. Everybody's having a ball and to make it as Christmas E as possible. Yeah. We were looking to find, I mean, in the poverty row studios, you mentioned Edgar G. Elmer. He mm -hmm. was the poet of poverty row. He was the guy who he made detour. He made, he brought art to those poverty row movies. And we were hoping, could we find someone like that in the Hallmark system? Was we there, did not. No, we did not. Like, I kept consulting lists of, you know, the top 20 Hallmark Christmas movies to find out what are the consensus best ones. There are no consensus best ones. All the lists are completely different. Well, you do have like A Christmas Prince, basically any of the streaming movies, because they're the ones that are the most easily accessible. And that's why they often appear on these lists. Yeah, it feels like the Netflix ones. Netflix every year has a couple of them that become events. You hear about them. Mm -hmm. I've never heard anyone refer to a Hallmark Christmas movie by the title. No. But I have heard. Many people refer to Netflix Christmas movies by the title. I've heard people say, I watched a Christmas switch with my family, you know? Again, it's because on the Hallmark Channel, they're difficult to access. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about how do some films become very popular, like It's a Wonderful Life. Well, It's a Wonderful Life beyond being a good movie also became culturally relevant because it fell into the public domain. So every channel could play it again and again and again. That's why some comedians like the Three Stooges, they were sold in those packages. Why does somebody like Harold Lloyd not really have that much of a following? Because he held very close copyright on his film and they did not play in syndication very often. And I know people listening to this may be like, no, that's not true. It's because quality. No, that's not true. It's just ease of access and just whatever plays again and again and again so we watched several of the most popular netflix christmas movies and i just want to say i hated this what's amazing is that last week you said that the bad pixars you're like this is the most miserable experience i've had it's one of these bad things you were just teeing yourself up for this you know week of christmas oh films like you were wishing to go back to the good dinosaur or like monsters university man the monsters university had so much more to look at than uh this fucking any of these fucking movies did but anyway we are professionals we want to talk about uh, okay i i've long ago given up any hope of finding like any art in these mm -hmm. finding any I, I do just want to say that i watched a movie called a christmas prince many people have seen it it's directed by alex zam and i love looking at who directs these movies yes. because i mean for for guys like us oftentimes it's interesting to find out that oh this one's directed by fred olin ray this one's by david dakota guys who made a uh, horror and sci-fi and schlocky stuff in the 80s who have gone wherever the market has gone. And today, the B-movies are Christmas movies. You know, they don't make horror and sci-fi B-movies at the same rate and the same level that they did in the 80s. So you'll, you know, the great director of Sorority Babes at the Slimeball Bolarama now makes uh, Christmas movies. The issue, and we talked about this last time too, is that these Christmas films are so formulaic. Like, I wished for the formula of an alien movie or a slasher film because there's enough variation in those that you do not get here. And I think that is also why people like them. That it is completely unchallenging and that you get 
get the same thing again and again and again. Anyway, I want to tell you about Alex Zam's filmography. <laughs> Beverly Hills Chihuahua 2. Wow. Inspector Gadget 2. Oh, man. The Tooth Fairy 2. Jingle All the Way 2. Hey, you're skipping the movie that started it all. Chairman of the Board. Yeah, that's right. More the like top. Chairman of the B-O-R-E-D. <laughs> His Citizen Kane, if you will. So I just love looking at the filmographies of these directors because it's like half of them, they usually have at least one or two movies you've heard of, mm -hmm. like bad 90s comedies or something. And then the rest of them are just Christmas movies or direct-to-video shit. I mean, I feel bad for the ones that live in the vortex of just Christmas movies where like this is where they started, this is where they'll die. I mean, it pays the bills, I guess. How about this for a bio? Alex Zam is an American director and screenwriter with a focus on creating family entertainment that is often visual effects heavy and frequently incorporates animals and kids. Hear that? That's the skill set. That's Thank what Thank you, Alex's manager, for writing that bio. That's what it says on his resume. When he's looking for jobs, they say frequently incorporates animals and kids, special effects heavy. Not everyone's Steven Spielberg. Not mm -hmm. everyone's an auteur. Some people have skill sets. Not uh, that many people are the director of Jingle All the Way and the Flintstones. Brian, <laughs> Brian Levant. That's right. So let's talk about the one that we both watched. I didn't watch A Christmas Prince, but A Christmas Prince does exist in the universe of A Christmas Christmas switch because at one point they watch it on television oh i was hooting and hollering and cheering so uh, that was like when uh ant-man shows up in i don't know captain america or something like that you're like woo! okay so the princess switch from 2018 directed by mike roll whose other work includes uh let me see two sequels to this film and uh yeah a lot of a lot of christmas movies wait isn't this the guy who directed chained heat three? <laughs> oh yes yes he did do chained heat three okay that's pretty cool Mike Roll, a name to reckon with. Yes. So this movie stars Vanessa Hudgens. And, and this is one of the gambits of these movies, which is let's put usually a television star in a role to give that blanket of nostalgia. I'm happy for Vanessa Hudgens because clearly this is a role that, you know, you don't take this role because it's what you want to do. No, because you got bills to pay. You got bills to pay. But I also feel like this role sort of reinvented her. It made her like the queen of Christmas, mm. you know, like this this was a bit of a comeback role for Vanessa <laughs> Hudgens in its weird way. Like she can't walk down the street without people going, ah, you're the princess of, I know you know the country, Will. Was it Moldovia? <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. They, uh, they, so anyway, I'm very happy for her that she had such success with this film now um, someone i'm not happy for me and you who have to sit and watch this movie okay so she's in the united states she's in either new york or chicago i can't remember and she's working at a bakery or something of course <laughs> she's still not quite over her breakup and she decides to go over to i want to say moldovia and take part in a cake making competition this is like um fifa going to saudi arabia like all the war crimes country has committed just get tossed away for competition let's not get too political here <laughs> It's like a political in a film about the monarchy <laughs> and the power they have and, you know, the influence they give on us plebes watching. Well, speaking of the monarchy, Vanessa Hudgens runs into uh, Princess Vanessa Hudgens, who has never been seen in public, has never been photographed, and turns out they are doppelgangers. And what do they decide to do? Of course, they decide to switch for two days. And they have tons of wacky adventures and misunderstandings, Will? Yeah, there are some of those. There's, there's a, No, there isn't. There's, there's a, barely anything. Well, hey, there's a point where they're, they're in the same room together and they have to hide. But it's no, very you're, brief. You're right. There are not a lot of wacky misunderstandings and misadventures. It's not Mrs. Doubtfire, you know? <laughs> the classic. It, it's, it's not... 
it's not you know shenanigans and you got to go from one place to another and that kind of thing i mean this movie is not good what i really realized watching this is that what's enjoyable i think for people who watch christmas films a lot is that there's not really anything in them there's signifiers snow santa getting together cheer but there's no jokes because there can't really be any conflict. Yeah. There's not really any drama either. And that the destination is predetermined by the beginning of the movie. Well, yeah, I mean, watching all these movies in a row and having seen some Hallmark ones a couple of years ago, it's like, like, I started to feel myself going a little insane mm. just seeing the same thing over and over again. Like all of these movies have the staircase moment, you know, two thirds of the way in there's the, the grand ball and the leading lady shows up at the top of the staircase in a dress and everyone looks over and it's like, oh, wow, she's... I I had a moment of disassociation when you saw like one of the Vanessa Hudgens in the mansion and then it cut to the other Vanessa Hudgen in a hotel room and they looked exactly the same. Like getting back to Poverty Row, like we're trapped in the same room that can be slightly dressed in different ways, but that's it because this is what the budget of these films. So they all have a precocious like child in them, mm -hmm. some like niece or, or nephew, well niece typically, who like sort of knows the secret and is helping out. There's always like an older governess character who's... Home! my but by the end i will either reveal something that will humanize me or i'll come over to your side there's always a kind of villain sort of at least in the royal ones there's always like some duke or somebody who's like vying for the crown or some some duchess who wants to get with the king or whatever but he actually wants to get with vanessa hudgens the the simple humble girl from chicago and a couple nights ago i watched above the law with steven seagal I've seen it a hundred times mm -hmm. not a very good movie no <laughs> Wait, isn't that the one where he puts the eight balls in a sock and like beat somebody with it? That's out for justice. Okay, a yeah. better film. Yes, B but I don't know. Above the law just has a kind of flavor that I like. It's got it's got a vibe that I like, and I don't know if you like the vibe of Christmas movies. Counter argument: the structure of action movies has to give you something every 20 or so minutes. But what if people don't want something? Yeah, they want nothing. They just want kind of like walking into a room where vague faceless people are walking around doing things that you recognize they want to hear the music they mm. want to they want to see the holiday cheer they in these royal ones which are like 50 percent of the movies they want to see the trappings of uh royalty what is a puncher kick it's the same right what is the difference between that and a baking competition i mean of some sort? i know what i like but yes. maybe but maybe that's just gendered Who yes knows? i mean also you know no, you know what you could say it's gendered these should be better though like that's <laughs> what it comes down to okay like when i see bad action movies i'm like this is shit and i like tops it to the side i'm not like ah give it to me like a warm blanket this nothing of a movie i agree with you yeah. um i'm just trying to be as empathetic as possible <laughs> to the millions of people who enjoy this shit well also you know these movies these christmas movies people go home and they're watching them with their sisters or their mother or whatever they got a whole group of people and they're talking over it they're mm. laughing at it some of these movies i think are also like they're camp they're meant to be laughed at and talked at like like your tom servo i mean that's certainly the case with the movie that you and i watched together today called i believe in santa no we're saving that one okay we're gonna go to Lindsay lohan next okay grand finale
finale. So the Lindsay Lohan one, which I'm checking my phone because I forget what it's called, Falling for Christmas. Now, the question of why would we do Netflix streaming films is we wanted to see what is the difference? What is the Netflix touch? The answer is nothing. These are <laughs> indistinguishable from Hallmark movies. You don't think the production values are a little bit better? They're a little bit higher. Maybe on this one, the Lindsay Lohan one, but like the Vanessa Hudgens one, it's the same as any yeah. other uh, royal uh, Christmas movie. Do you think the actors are maybe a little bit better? Maybe. Well, I mean, again, we're teasing for the next one that we're going to talk about. Not in the next one, for sure. But <laughs> the Lindsay Lohan one was definitely the slickest out of all the ones that we watched. It was a little slapstick in it. You I know? liked some of the slapstick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the same kind of bullshit, though, is that some anonymous kind of blonde guy who's running a ski resort that's going under. How is he running oh a God. ski resort? OK, if the plot isn't something with the monarchy, mm-hmm. it, the plot is always some uh, woman from the big city comes to a small town and there's this humble guy who's running you know the old barn where they've had hot chocolate every year since 1902 and the evil developers want to tear it down and gentrify it and turn it into a ski resort but but you know what maybe maybe the spirit of christmas is in the imperfection maybe the spirit of christmas is in ritual and these these you know the handmade and everything and then at the end there's a big party where somebody gives a big check for ten thousand dollars and saves the old barn these movies are like the comedies hollywood was putting out during the depression where everyone was like a unfathomably lot, rich. A lot fucking worse than those, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, they are. But it's <laughs> I would idea- give I would sell my soul to watch Gold Diggers of 1933 <laughs> over mean, this. <laughs> the idea is that you see people that don't have to like struggle. Their struggles are very minor and that they are always covered in just wealth. Like it's wild. The, the these unlived houses these people like walk around in in these movies. That's true, but I mean sociologically, I think the the royal ones are interesting because they're all kind of about somebody struggling. Like the, the prince figure is always like, oh, the monarchy is not really real, is it? I, I don't really feel don't really feel like I've lived up to the royal throne. You know, I just I don't want to be a royal. I just want to hang out with a girl from Boston, mm-hmm. and like the girl from Boston, like legit sort of legitimizes the institution in a way. Well, that's the thing is that most of these royal ones are about the viewer perhaps who could then become a princess or a queen i mean no wonder the harry and megan story is so popular right now because mm-hmm. it's basically like it's on the same continuum as all of these hallmark and netflix Absolutely. christmas movies yeah. it's all about some some outsider some you know cinderella story who comes in who like who like to the bad people corrupts the sanctity of of the monarchy and and the young prince always has he's, the young prince is always the progressive figure the young prince is always sort of modernizing the monarchy but not too much not too much yeah yeah let's keep these liberal ideas let's not get progressive this dirty word yeah. and we usually in these royal movies get no idea of the outside world beyond these castle walls well there's typically a scene in like the market or something yeah and everyone's like joyous and happy and they have no problems in the world as they're run by like dr doom and like laveria or yeah. whatever the country he ran who's the rupert murdoch of Mo- moldovia <laughs> like <laughs> no one's really bad and if they are they can be turned around okay back to the Lindsay lohan one the plot is she's a rich person she gets bonked on the head forgets who she is and then learns good old fashioned values at a fucking ski resort like the most rich thing you can have a ski resort i thought Lindsay lohan was fine yeah she's fine in this i like to see her back up the on scene, screen the scene where she's trying to make a bed it's kind of funny yeah uh, jump cuts she's like oh i don't have a lot to say about this movie this this could not be more generic mm-hmm. and what's the netflix touch on this not much well i think the netflix touch is the presence of Lindsay lohan mm-hmm. like that's a big gimmick that's a big attention grabbing thing like i 
I know people who have watched this movie. I've heard a lot of talk just ambiently about this movie. I mean, the film is ambient noise as well. So, But like I've heard people being like, oh, Lindsay Lohan is a new Netflix movie. I watched the new Lindsay Lohan Netflix movie. I've just heard this in casual conversation with like my extended <laughs> social circle. So, yeah, the group chat was like, hey, new, new Lindsay Lohan dropped. I mean, not some group chats, but maybe some others. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and let us get then to our final film, which is number seven on the Netflix charts as of this recording. Okay, this movie is horrible. Oh, I didn't even say the title, though. I believe in Santa Claus. The interesting thing about this one is I don't believe this could have been made for any reason other than getting hate clicks. Mm -hmm. I believe that this is a movie that was meant for people to watch and laugh at and make fun of. because. But the the actors de definitely did not approach it in that way. They're not in on the joke. No. But I believe that Reed Hastings is in on the joke. I believe the Netflix executives are, are <laughs> in mean, on the joke. I mean, he doesn't know this movie exists. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, Whoever greenlit it, they were like, what's with this like really weird kind of, what's I supposed to say, a, a couple of a certain age who look yes. like they could be in a Tim and Eric sketch. <laughs> <laughs> so the premise of this movie, and it's the only reason I wanted to watch it, the logline is a couple get into a relationship and the woman realizes that the man still believes in Santa Claus. I wish that's what it was about. That's not really what it's about. It's not about anything. <laughs> no, it's not. It's just... A month in the life of yeah. these two actors that we looked up and Will discovered that the woman was on Mad TV and that the man is just, you know, a journeyman appearing in television and other stuff like that. But this was his vehicle. He wrote this, Will. He wrote this and the, the couple are married in real life, which I would have thought Listen, you'd get a little more chemistry. We're just going to say... Watch the movie. There's some stuff we would love to joke about, but we're not going to do it here because we're good people. Okay, fuck it. I am going to say something because yes. every review on Letterboxd has said it. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important context <laughs> for why this movie was made, why people are watching it. The guy seems like he might be gay. Yes, by his mannerisms, if we make a broad b brush watching it. But they're married in real life, Will. Well, you know. <laughs> I mean, no one, it doesn't no one... take you out of the, like, even knowing that. You watch that movie and you're like, huh. When it sunk into me that this guy was the lead. Yes. Putting aside what his sexuality mm -hmm. is. I mean, look at it. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you happy that you could see different faces on the screen? I, I guess. <laughs> I thought, I used to think I wanted to see different kinds of faces, but now I don't know. I, I mean, beyond that, beyond the performances of the actors who are befuddled and sometimes feel green screened in to their scenes. I mean, oftentimes they are. This film has no momentum. It's got nothing. Well, you know, this is a hack movie, obviously, but I kind of wish it were a better hack movie. Okay, the plot is that she is- a, Hates Christmas. She hates Christmas. and She, she loves Independence Day. She's a writer for a website called Mile High Ezine. Ezine, yes. Yeah, which, which gives her enough money to have a huge home. Yeah. She works in an office. Unbelievable for website article writers. And it looks like not even a WordPress site, honestly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But anyway, she meets this guy. Seems like a really nice guy. He he really likes Christmas a lot. He's obsessed with Christmas. He's a lawyer. And she has always hated Christmas. And we find out that it's because... Oh my God. We took a guess. Is this going to be the lamest reason in the world? We were right. And it is. And you think at this point, okay, the whole movie is going to be a conflict between he loves Christmas and she hates Christmas. That pretty much dissipates quickly. She kind of gets in the Christmas spirit easily. Mm -hmm. The movie is structured around different days on the calendar. Which you know. only makes you realize like that your life is slipping away while you're watching this movie. Like, how is it only December 11th? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, and yeah, he loves Christmas. 
he also believes in Santa Claus, which is the centerpiece scene. And you think, well, that's going to become more of a conflict. Not really. Doesn't really. I mean, he seems mentally unwell when he talks about it. Yeah, I think so. And uh, his friend tries to make the logic of, well, if people believe in God, why can't they believe in Santa? And I go, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> like one and the other, you know. No, no. Hang on. Hang on. Fuck that shit. If Santa was real, he would actually deliver presents. Well, if God I mean, was real, he'd do stuff too. He does stuff every day. <laughs> this is how the, the, we're going to reveal that uh, Will is very religious. Yeah, I mean. That's why we can't record on Sundays. It's finally coming to me, Will. All those tornadoes and hurricanes and twisters. That's a uh, vengeance for our, for our, our sins. That's right. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Maybe our punishment is having to watch these Christmas movies, Will. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, not much of one. So, um, yeah, looking back, trying to th- uh, do we have anything more to say about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, of course I we believe do. in Santa. Yeah. So at the end of I Believe leave in santa i don't remember what happens <laughs> they get they propose they get married oh we didn't mention the incredible tobogganing scene <laughs> yes this is when it really sunk in for me that this movie was probably made for hate clicks because mm. this tobogganing scene it's all against green screens it's ineptly staged oh added. come on will you see a toboggan slowly roll down a hill yeah i was reminded of you know in chimes at midnight how orson wells made that battle scene with just 10 people <laughs> i mean it's got real decker vibes <laughs> like oh yeah whoa! and all the stuff is happening and that's the big climax and then they get engaged and they live happily ever after which is it's great that you can find a part partner later in life <laughs> yes that's true <laughs> i found that touching i mean the daughter she got what she wanted for christmas this strange man based on this movie marrying her mother yeah the, the kind of man that other couples at church kind of pull their kids away from well we got to talk about my favorite thing of this film the man's clothing throughout the film yeah his the overalls in the last scene I mean, are a little he rocks weird. a christmas freaky farley at one point where it's just like a striped in christmas colors various bizarre vast Mm-hmm. and red Christmas shirts. I mean, I, okay, this this is it, though. Like, whoever is in charge of Netflix was saying to the costume people, okay. Make it funny. Make it make it so that we can laugh at this guy. That's This This was a conspiracy against this poor man. This is a, this is a Windy City heat for this poor man. <laughs> I mean, Will did have a sober moment where he was like, if we had never seen Matt Damon and he had suddenly starred in a Christmas film, would we find him odd looking? Yeah, if Matt Damon, age 58 or whoever old yes. he is, just just showed up all of a sudden out of nowhere as a romantic lead, would we be like, who the fuck's this guy? And I think, no. No, I don't think he's, so. Uh, he's better than this. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this poor man who does have a number seven film in the Netflix Christmas uh, roster. Yeah. Man, like, there's nothing going on in the script you wrote. Like, nothing is happening. Yeah, I, uh, I wonder, though, like, do these producers who are Christmas focused they go in with a surgical knife removing anything that would be challenging suspenseful comedic from these scripts because they know that the ones before have done so well so why change the formula probably i mean the movies aren't funny no they're light but they and i guess there are things in them that are sort of camp or humorous but there are no belly laughs Mm -hmm. that can only be by design just as like the politics of the way that the monarchy is depicted in all these movies thought was put into that like people with charts and graphs and market research were saying this is what people like about the monarchy this is what people don't like about it and so we have to tailor it to whatever the contemporary community standards are like they do there is theory behind this they do put thought hello it's me prince albert of this christmas hello 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 (laughs) yep I, i mean 
is there an endpoint for these Christmas films in the same way that eventually the Western kind of like choked on the just volume that it was delivering? Well, possibly, but I mean, Christmas isn't going anywhere. No, it's not. And I do have to say, though, my stepmom said, I don't want to watch these Christmas films. They're just the same. So maybe people are waking up. There's nothing else here. Maybe, or maybe more people will come to replace her to just watch these movies. <laughs> I, I will say that the biggest like stumbling block for me with these movies is the fact that they are so textureless. And mm. you know, when I think of the Christmas things I like, they've got a little bit more like it's a wonderful life, okay? That's a movie that's sad. It's mm-hmm. got it's got a lot of emotion in it. A Christmas story. I'm just thinking of the ones people like. It's got it's funny. Die hard. It's got action. You mm. know, Batman Returns. There's something else there. Like there's there's a lot, there's a lot going on and like but you can't make those kind of films in volume and that's what matters it's like we're counting down to christmas on the hallmark or the netflix channel you get a new christmas film every day it's just odd to me that so many people like movies that deliberately have nothing in them and i'm not judging i just find it odd i don't understand it we were very polite on the last christmas special this one who would just snap we couldn't take it anymore we thought there was more so that's it for our christmas netflix special will we ever return to these kind of christ almighty i hope not i think we've done our due diligence if Someone came out of the fog and was like, this is the filmmaker or the production studio that puts more in the Christmas films. I would watch those. I would check it out too. Yes. But like a polite, like, oh yeah, uh, my family kind of like this. And that ain't cutting the mustard. I remember there was one time when I pitched to you, I think we, we just did Hallmark movies, but I, I thought, would it be fun to do Hallmark movies directed by like Fred Olin Ray mm-hmm. or David Dakota or people like that? But I mean, the thing is, they're not going to be any different, though. Yeah. I mean, we're just happy that those guys can complete a film based on the mandates presented to them and keep making movies. Did you know that Fred Olin Ray recently became a full moon guy? He made a film called Piranha Women. I'm glad he's still uh, doing doing some personal work. Mm-hmm. So maybe the Christmas film for some of these, like, you know, old timey filmmakers, if they like the career would end they couldn't move on to something else afterwards this is why it's also like those poverty row movies of the 30s and 40s because those movies were also like directors who started in the silent era Mm. you know people like william bodine who yeah used to make a pictures in like 1918 and then by the 40s were making bowery boys comedies to stay busy yeah and and you see that now i'm glad they can do it yeah so you can send us letters at podcast at gmail.com. Our first letter is from Amber, and it goes, Hey, guys, just wanted to briefly- I can't believe we have one from a woman. <laughs> Finally. Let's, let's let the alarm go off. <laughs> Thank you, Amber. That's not true. We've gotten many <laughs> emails from women before. Just wanted to briefly say thanks to Justin for the many French words he's inadvertently taught me how to pronounce. The first time anyone has ever thanked me for teaching them how to pronounce Makes up for all the English words that get bungled. I now realize that I've been saying oeuvre and Jean Rollet wrong my entire life. As an American who took two years of French in high school many years ago and had a little to no other Francophone experience since then, your podcast has been infinitely insightful. That's probably an ignorant and silly sounding thing to say, but thanks. Now, anything you get out of this is good. Thank you, although it is pronounced Gene Roland. <laughs> yes, of course. Throwing back to the many names I've mispronounced and will continue to mispronounce in the future. It's part of the verbal texture of this podcast. Yes. Just enjoy it. If I know someone who pronounce everything uh, perfectly, I'm suspect of them. Exactly. They did research on that? Come on. That's why the greatest man who ever lived, Popeye. You know, I once spent weeks having to go through the Canadian Screen Awards to learn how to pronounce people who were nominated's names. Yeah, no thank you. <laughs> That's like kryptonite to me. <laughs> so next up, we have an email from Scotty, and he goes, Hey, Justin and Will, 
Now that a few weeks have passed and the dust has settled, I think we can all clearly see that there was one major flaw in the Sight and Sound Greatest Film list. It didn't debut a two-hour network television special with all-star heavy hitters like Norman Jewison, Richard Dreyfuss, Sidney Pollock, and John Lasseter weighing in with platitudes and recitations of famous lines. Did either of you watch the AFI 100-year special when they aired from 1998 to 2008? Did they air in Canada? I look at them now and see that mostly as corny, middle-of-the-road reiterations of the Hollywood film canon, but I can't deny that at the time they were aired in my youth, they really made me excited to see a lot of classics I wouldn't have heard of otherwise. Really what I'm wondering is if you had any similar experiences, not so much lists, but with TV shows or specials about movies. Another one I loved was Movie Magic, which aired on the Discovery Channel here in the US, which had episodes on stop motion, miniatures, matte paintings, creature makeup, and all sorts of practical effects just before CGI took over. Were there any that you loved to watch or made a big impact on you? Have you gone back and watched any of them since? Best Scotty. I vividly remember watching the AFI Top 100 Comedies. So do I. Yes. I watched it when it aired, yes. And I was in ecstasy watching that special. It was like three hours long. It would be like... Whoopi Goldberg being like, ah, yeah, uh, this mildly unfunny comedy no one really watches that much anymore. Hilarious. Three hours of like, you know, Martin Short talking about Harpo Marx Mm -hmm. or uh, City Slickers. I vividly remember. (laughs) Number one. Some like it hot, buddy. Yep, that's right. And being like, hmm, okay. Maybe I need to watch it again. (laughs) Number two. Tootsie. <laughs> Would you believe that? Tootsie, the second funniest movie of all time. I have I seen Tootsie? I must have at some point. I mean, it's not that great. I mean, Airplane, way low on that list. I feel like it was in the top 10. I mean, it should be right at the top, shouldn't it? It's, it's a very funny film. Yeah. Do you remember where the Marx Brothers ended up? I think Duck Soup was in the top five, actually. Okay. Uh, but I also think, like, I don't know if Buster Keaton was even on the list. Like, there was. Wow. There was, uh, there, I mean, it's interesting watching. Those old AFI specials, 100 Years, 100 Movies, 100 Years, 100 Laughs, that stuff. It's interesting because, yes, the canon has actually changed a lot since then. So mm-hmm. that first AFI Top 100 Movie special has things in it like like Yankee Doodle Dandy is on the list, Frankenstein, Yankee. The Adventures of Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Movies that, like, they're still classics, I guess, but they're not quite... They, I feel like they've been displaced a bit by, like, Do the Right Thing is on the list now. Mm-hmm. Mulholland Drive would be on the list I think that going through the AFI Top 100 Comedies from back then would be a good Patreon topic. Okay, yeah, we, we actually should. Maybe we'll just fucking do that this week. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I remember the AFI Top 100 Comedies. It has like a certain recency. Like it's the recency mm. bias of 20 years ago. So like, yeah, City Slickers is on it. Mrs. Doubtfire is on it. <laughs> uh, there's there's something about Mary is in it, number 25 or something. 25? Although that movie is good, actually. All right, let's not uh, use up our ammunition here. Yeah. We got to say for a Patreon episode. So thanks very much for the letter and our next one's from Tristan and he goes, hey, Justin and Will, love what you guys do. Thanks for keeping my love of cinema alive while grad school sucks away my soul. We've been very clear, no post-secondary education. That's right. You should get out there and, you know, sell yourself on the market. Yes. I was wondering if you had any opinions on Japanese erotic film director Hisayu Sato. I'm going to say right now before I read this email, me and Will, no. 
I've only just started to dip my toes into his work, but it's abject and disreputable and everything else you guys love. Weirdly austere and precise direction, deranged sex scenes, and his gay S&M movie, Muscle, is even an ode to Pasolini. Also, I was wondering if you had thoughts on Pinku era or Japanese erotic films in general. Most broadly, do you guys have any thoughts on how different nationalities produce different kinds of erotic films? Is there a difference between Italian smut and British smut and Hong Kong smut, for example? Which country does it best? Yeah, I just want to say that that Sato is a huge blind spot for me. He's somebody who I've wanted to delve into for a long time. Splatter Naked Blood, for example. But I just haven't watched them because I'm almost, I don't know. I, I get We've easy- talked about our fear of Japanese That's cinema. not true. <laughs> we... we- I think it's easy sometimes to get intimidated. Mm-hmm. Like, it looks like... Intimidation, I, fear. What's the difference? Well, the thing is, like, I feel like I'm going to love those movies so oh, much. Oh, you will. And I'm, I'm almost worried about, like... You don't want to open that can of worms? Where it's like, I guess I got to own all of these on Blue oh, right now. Yeah, it's, but but no, I this letter writer inspires me that I should. I have some on my watch list, and I'm like, oh, I got to get to some of these, like, Pinku films, because... They're so short, too. Yeah, and they're so artistic, because these kind of films, if they had a certain number of sex scenes, softcore, they could do whatever they want. Wanted. And they had bigger budgets than America ever had, so they could do wilder stuff. When the letter writer asked, like, is there a difference between sort of smutty cinema? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah, like hugely. Like, you look at the Hong Kong Category 3 movies, which I am more familiar with, like, they just look like normal movies. They have a very good production values for the most part. They have real actors. I mean, they could transfer... From, you know, mainstream Hong Kong cinema to Category 3, like Simon Yan would jump back and forth. Yeah, I mean, I think there was some stigma on the Category 3 movies, definitely. Like, if you watch that movie Viva Erotica, it sort of gets into that. They played in the same movie theaters as normal movies, whereas, like, in America, direct-to-video, softcore stuff, you know, was a whole different universe than theatrically released movies. Mm Uh, but I would love to know more about the Pinku films, honestly. I think that we could even just pick one director and talk about his film. We wouldn't have to do a whole genre thing. What if we did uh, Saito? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm not familiar with him at all. Yeah. So. Like, I've, I've heard the titles. I know I would love them. Let's uh, let's do that soon. All right. So thank you very much for all the letters. And <laughs> this week on our Patreon, hey, the AFI Top 100 Comedies. Why not? This is the fastest letter to subject Ever, I think. So if you folks who write us with suggestions are dreaming that we might pick pick up on them. No, it's never going to happen, except for this particular one. <laughs> Look, it's Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> so we're going to take a week off, probably, mm-hmm. and then we'll be back with best of the year. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. I mean, we're not stressing. We never really stress about this, right, People Will? love the best of the year. Uh, that's the ones that always get the most clicks. So, yeah, we're going to do it. So are five of those movies going to be very obvious and you can see them coming from a mile away? Yes. <laughs> Until next week, my name's Justin Glue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. This is a reminder that next week I will be reading out the name of every current patron of the Important Cinema Club. So if you want your name to be heard or voiced by me, Make sure to become a patron now before our best of the year episode drops. And while we're at it, I would like to thank Michael Marchant, Bart Howe, Julian Towers, Eli Bush, Lord Seo, Daniel Busby, Jacob Schur, Dan Erdman, Sammy Gold, Mark Grimpo, Dan Watkins, Charles F., Yeso, Durinid, Ken Nichols, Nick Cook, Michael Davies, and Ty Trullinger for becoming patrons. Thank you very much, and we could not keep doing it without you. It's come to this, Will. It was done unprompted that Emily came and saw me and said, Justin, 
How about for Christmas? This year, we don't get ourselves presents, and we both chip in to get a new television. Ooh. You're going to get a 4K? Yeah, we're going to get a 4K. You're going to love it. So how did you approach buying a new television? Because I consider myself... And I, f- I feel like a dad saying this. A pretty knowledgeable guy when it comes to technology. I look at this world of televisions and I go, what the hell am I supposed to get? First of all, I'll tell you how I came to get a new television. <laughs> you walked into the store and said, give me that one. The week after my mother's funeral, when my dad had basically five months to live because he had cancer, he um, gave me a check for $5,000 and said, do whatever $5, you want $5,000? Yeah. yeah. And I thought, oh boy, (laughs) (laughs) that takes the sting off. (laughs) Oh, I mean, not really. (laughs) Not not at all. But my girlfriend wanted a TV that when it was off displayed a picture. So you got one of those like Samsung picture frames one. Yeah, yeah. So we have currently in our living room, there's a JMW Turner painting on the TV basically. So it's up on the wall then. No, no, it's oh, um, really? no. It, it has a setting where when it turns off. Okay, so it's not that fancy. Because no. I'm picturing you can get ones that are in frames that look like art. Yeah, so it's not like that. It just displays a nice painting. So that was your go-to thing when it came to settings or like options. Yeah, it was her go-to thing, yeah. and you know, beyond that, I didn't. So think... you didn't pick it. <laughs> she picked it. Yeah, she picked it. Beyond that, I didn't think too much about it. But I was very excited to be able to get a 4K Blu-ray player. They're uh, still expensive. They're still a couple hundred bucks. They are expensive, actually, and the discs are expensive of two but mm-hmm. i mean well oh, i can't wait to spin my copy of invisible maniac in 4k i'll tell you maniac cop 2 the blue underground release looks beautiful i will say william lustig is a huge 4k fan and he spends a lot of time on those he does it well all those blue underground discs the, full the final ones, countdown uh, <laughs> he has like four good movies yeah that he most. keeps recycling <laughs> over and over again but they look great on 4k now i don't want ma- to make people angry like yelling at me being like this is what you should do or this is what you should do i just like i look at the website and i'm like wait so i need a series 6 model 2002 oh, GB. I, i'm not worrying about that too much and the thing is that the tv that we're using now in the living room looks fine no issues with it it's just a cheap led tv of a brand that does not exist anymore because we got it 10 years ago so it's like why should i worry that much because i shouldn't at the end of the day right like i should be able to walk in and be like i don't know just give me this one it doesn't matter and what was your size discussion like were you like i need 85 inches we didn't say that we just wanted it to like fit basically mm-hmm. on the stand that we wanted to put it on in the living so room. So do you know how big your television is? Not off the top of my head. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know. Suits me There's pretty well. There's pictures. They're moving. Yeah. I better not go to your house and motion smoothing is on, Will. Oh, no. No, okay. no, no. Because I've been looking and like there's UHD, which is LED, and then there's QLED, which are mini, and then there's OLED, which is completely different. You know what really annoys me about TVs is in addition to the motion smoothing, it's often set where if you put on a movie that's 1.33 to 1 aspect ratio it stretches it it'll stretch it no and you, have, you have to go in and you have to you know spend half your day figuring out what the settings are to get it to just adapt to whatever whatever the aspect ratio is Ugh. how much would you spend on a television though do you know how much it costs at the end of the day roughly can i just say that the picture frame one was way too much money <laughs> so it was ridiculous over under but like i say i got a, I got a big check from my dad <laughs> over under uh two thousand dollars under two thousand okay 
Okay, so that's not that bad. Yeah. Because you didn't spend like, I look, I walk through like Best Buy, one of the like few electronic stores still standing, and I go, oh my God, like $5,000 for some of these. I don't know what the difference is. But I do think as well that like, I'm probably going to have this TV for 10 years. That's how long I had the last one. It's just gotten to the point too that the HDMI ports don't work for it. Oh, well, actually my biggest challenge with the new TV was trying to figure out how to connect the VCR to it. <laughs> oh, it doesn't have any... Um... I had to get an adapter. Yeah, you have. I've actually been thinking like, I don't even know if I have space in the apartment, but what I would really like is to go to go to Goodwill or something and get one of those TV VCR things that I could just put in a corner. I've been able to run the VCR and you got a converter, so it's fine. I do have to say though, you know, the ultimate dream is I was at a pal Mike's house yesterday and he set up, he has movie chairs in his living room that he got from uh, cinema closing down there. I put them on the curb. So cool. And he has a hundred inch just projection screen up. Oh. And it's just up against the wall, looks great, and he plays video games, movies, all that stuff there. Living the dream. Living the dream. Well, I'll probably get a television. It'll look fine because at the end of the day, you can't really get a television past a certain you know price range that is bad. Like over 500 bucks, your TV will look fine. 